Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, I'm delighted that my guest today uh, is somebody who you could quite genuinely describe as one of the greats of British acting. James Fox has had a career that has gone on for well over half a century in British film. He's been there through the ups and downs of the British film industry. And if, like me, you love films, you will know him from classics such as The Servant from 1963, uh, Performance with Mick Jagger, which was a great countercultural classic of 1970, uh, A Passage to India, uh, directed by David Lean, right through to the 90s, and The Remains of the Day, uh, which was a merchant ivory film. Um, he is also, of course, the father of <laughs> Lawrence Fox. Uh, <coughs> Thank you so much for coming, James. Um, I know you. that was a bit of a sort of eulogy, um, <laughs> and I, I do apologise. But um, I wanted to start. You you had a birthday recently, didn't you? you I did. Eighty-two, I believe. You know. Eighty-two. Well, the reason I mentioned that, which is of course a very rude way of starting, but the reason I, I mentioned that is that Ian McKellen, I believe, is about to play Hamlet at the age of eighty-two, and I just wondered, would you ever do that? Oh, I think that'd be a big mistake. <laughs> no, I even think King Lear would be a big mistake. <laughs> You've done lots of theatre, haven't you, Uncle Vanya? I've done some theatre. The last theatre I did was with my son Jack right. in Dear Lupin, oh. uh, which was great fun in 2015. But uh, when you go back and... I th- your first film would have been around 1950, I believe. Yes, I was a child actor, yeah. You were a child actor. And obviously coming from this extraordinary family of actors and showbiz people. But one thing that sort of struck me is that throughout that whole period, whether it's the 60s, uh, the 70s and the 80s, uh, the British film industry has always been teetering on collapse, it seems to have been. Is that how you see it? It never quite <coughs> seems to... I agree. Come to- I, I agree with you, Peter. And it's interesting. I, I, I came up, you mentioned The Servant at a time mm. when there was a, a kind of renaissance. Um, I mean, there had been the French New Wave, the Italian New Wave, and, and we had our own version here with such great directors as Carol Rice and Tony Richardson, Lindsay Anderson and, and others. And so that was a great period of black and white films. And of course, it brought the great acting talent out. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, so I was very lucky. That was a period when it was up. Mm. Then uh, the, the late 60s, I, I guess into the 70s, it was America that had their new wave, wasn't it? Mm. Um, then it was, I'm not sure about the 70s. I was out of acting in the 70s. In the 80s, things were very different when I came back into acting, uh, except for David Lean, who was again after 14 years in the wilderness had come back with Passage to India, which is a great film. Mm. But it then teetered on. In my experience, uh, I wasn't part of the sort of the run of sort of successful films at that time, but I I really found it difficult to feel that we had an industry. Mm. I, I even tried to go to America and, and see if I could get work there, but of course that wasn't something that happened. It, it, it's just as you say. It's just always about, isn't it, to sort of collapse, or, yeah. or it's always about it. I think if you take the, the servant, you mentioned that was a very good time. I should actually explain for people who don't know it. This was a film you made with Dirk Bogart, yeah. and it was sort of 
very much of its time, wasn't it? But you played a young aristocrat. In yes. Dirk Bogart played the butler, yeah. your butler. Yeah. And essentially, he was usurping your position. That's right. And this was taken, was it not, as a kind of parable of the class system at Absolutely. the time? Do you think that was... Uh... Well, and it was directed by Joseph Losey, who was a communist. So, in fact, I think he wanted to insert this whole idea of the uh, corruption of, of the, the class system, the overthrow by this man who had a personal revolution agenda, yes. Dirk Bogard. Yes. But he definitely had those undertones. Yes. Do you, think, do you think that sort of film would be possible to be made now? I mean, that it's a, it was a very intimate film, wasn't it? It was, it was almost like a play, actually, well, wasn't yes. it? Would it be possible to be made now? I can't tell, but it, it, it's fascinating. Um, I think it was of its time, actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, because the character I played, Tony, was sort of louche, uh, hooray, uh, a sort of helpless character oh. who, who had a servant. I can't imagine even nowadays that some young man would have a, serf, a servant look after him. If you're in the army, you have a soldier servant yeah. in certain regiments like yeah. the Brigade of Guards. But that's all of the past, isn't it? Yes. It, <coughs> there is this, this, in acting itself, this subject of class comes up quite a lot because one of the complaints now is that acting is no longer a place that working class people can get into for all sorts of reasons. Do you think that's true? Would you would, would you agree that it's sort of dominated more by public school people? Crumbs. They... Isn't that awful? I mean, mm. I think probably the greatest film of that period we talked about is Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. Yes. In my opinion. Yeah. And and our hero, the, the great actor of the day, was Albie Finney. Mm. Now, Albie Finney, I think, was from Salford, mm. uh, but he was, uh, he was a sort of great theatre actor as well. He became, he started talking like actors do mm. uh, once he came down. But of course, that film marked him out as this great character from what you would call a working class background. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on, if there were great directors and great subjects, surely there were great actors from all over our country. Yes. I don't know that sort of gets to your point, but it, it sort of it does. I, 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 I honestly think, how could they? How could people be denied simply because they come from somewhere, mm. or or are some some yes. from some background? I think I think what it is is that there is this sense, <coughs> acting with so many other <laughs> professions, uh, is that now. Uh, it requires a fair amount of money to be there in order to go on and do it, like in the law, oh, yes. these sorts of areas. And, and, oh, yes, exactly. You know. Actors used to be able to live, yes. it, it, you know, in, in, in places in London that they could afford and they could go for a drink and mix with their friends. Now London's priced itself out. It's, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it much, much harder, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, at the end of that decade, the 60s, uh, you made film called Performance, which I, I mentioned earlier. And Performance uh, <coughs> is this countercultural classic. I watched it again uh, <laughs> at the weekend, knowing that I was going to be yeah. speaking to you. And uh, you play a gangster, I mean, a, yeah. a, a very cruel uh, uh, gangster, brilliantly, I might add. Um, but also you're playing it opposite Mick Jagger. Yeah. And this was, this was, this has become, is it a cult classic is the wrong It phrase, was a maybe? cult classic in the universities in the 70s. Yes. I know that, but I don't know whether it is any longer. But, but 
What would you say is the quality that keeps that film in the forefront of people's minds then? Well, it's got a strong drug theme. It's somewhat decadent, and we are now decadent. Um, it, it's got great a great song. I mean, and, and Mick was very famous, mm. still is. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it still ticks a lot of boxes. Do you think you say we're decadent now? Do you think that when the film was made, you made it in '68? Yeah, it came out in '97. Yeah. Uh, would you say that society was decadent then, or not really? Well, those of us who could be decadent, were yes, decadent. yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether you have to be privileged to be decadent or not. I don't yes. think so. Uh, but yes, is what was your question, Peter? Is it more decadent? Yes, now? I mean, in a way, you sort of the, the film, which is you know, you had those sort of orgy scenes and, yeah. and, and drugs and all, all of that, um, but. The time it might have been criticised for being decadent, but maybe society itself was still quite traditional. Actually, oh yeah, it really was traditional, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, didn't William Rees Mogg write a letter in defence of Mick Jagger yes, to the did. Times, yes. breaking a butterfly on a wheel? It? On a wheel, yes. You know, so the whole idea of the establishment protecting Mick Jagger was this hilarious, yes. Uh, yes, because they were the new establishment even then, weren't they? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Although the the establishment continued in mm. in its way which it didn't after Tony Blair, I suppose we got a new establishment or whatever. Well, the, the new establishment, I suppose, is one that likes to think that it's in constant sort of opposition to the establishment. Yes, but and it's very hip about yeah, being yeah. loving performance and all that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Were you part of what you might call, what was then called Swinging London, do you think? Yes, I was, yes. What did that actually mean on a day-to-day -day basis? I think well, of King's it, Road and I think yes. of Darling and... If you had enough cash, it meant eating out at nice Italian restaurants pretty much every day, buying, going into shops and buying good stuff, listening to wonderful music, which was coming out all the time, driving around in really flashy cars <laughs> <coughs> uh, with very pretty girls. And I mean, it just meant having a very good time if you had, to, if you had some money. Yes. But there were a lot of very stimulating, talented people around. Yes. In, in almost all the fields of, of, of the arts. Um, obviously, you had the Beatles, you had uh, Twiggy, yeah. you had David Bailey. Yes, oh, exactly, right mm. across. And I suppose in the theatre, you had Peter Hall and mm. people like that uh, doing great work as well. You had earlier, you had the Royal Court Theatre with the Writers' Theatre in Sloan Square. It was a great time for, for that. Uh, flourishing of, of English writing. Why do you think, James, that, what are the conditions that give rise to these sudden flourishings, you think? What, what was it in the 60s? Hmm. Gosh, that is good. Well, it was obviously reactionary. Yes. You, to me, to the 50s. Yeah. yeah. Must have been reactionary to that. Conditions. It was very young. Uh, I wasn't think it? the fact of mobility. I yeah. think that people, yeah. you know, that suddenly they wanted to make films about about the north, mm. about the, uh, how there was greater access through the universities to very bright people who became directors and writers. Yeah. Um, mobility made a made a great difference. I think. Yeah. It just felt very exciting, and it, it, it continues to feel like a very very interesting period, I must say. Oh, it still has that kind of glamour oh, yeah. attached to it, oh, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
And in some ways, when you did performance, yeah. in, it came out in 1970, uh, that was sort of, if you like, the whole thing was going off the boil a it, bit, wasn't it? It certainly was, the 68 rats in Paris. Mm. And then Mick was charging around Grosvenor Square, with, you know, talking about revolution in the streets and mm. all that was going on in 68, 69, yeah. Were you quite political then? I mean, because politics no, I, was a I wasn't, I, but I remember, I remember becoming more political in the 70s after I got married and left acting for a while. Mm. And I remember how, you know, I thought the, the Wilson government was so terrible. You know, mm. I didn't enjoy that government. I didn't enjoy the Heath and the, 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 the lockdown, not the lockdowns, they were called um, three-day weeks. Thought, yes. And the inflation, I began to become aware about leadership and about the country in a much more political way, I think, when I was in the North. Um, so it began then, but I was still sort of a dilettante, and I suppose I still am. You uh, mentioned there that you left acting. This is a, this was a, a deliberate thing. You actually yeah. left acting for a whole decade, didn't you? The, well, more or less. The yeah. 1980s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us uh, what, why did you leave acting? Why did you decide to Well, leave? it was very difficult because I, I had a sort of adult conversion to faith in Christ. And the thing was that the, there were no people around who could, I suppose, steer me in the way that the people who, who helped me in my early days as a Christian did offer. That was an American uh, international evangelical organization called the Navigators. Well, they offered me something. They could see that I was struggling with trying to reconcile myself to my past, to my work, and to what it meant to be a, a Christian. And I suppose I was, I, I was, um, I, w I left because I wanted to take it seriously. Mm. It's a long answer to that. But I mean, you, you left it really at the height, you know, you, you had an amazing career. And you, yeah. But, but then you left, so how did you sort of live? I mean, Well, I'd, I'd, fortunately, I'd, uh, by having some good advice, I'd saved some money or mm. some money had been put aside for me. So when I went to the North, first of all, I lived with a, a lovely family. Then when I got married, I had enough money to buy a house in the North. And, and so that, I, I was able to live in those days, you see from what I'd earned in the 60s. Did it ever sort of cross your mind to maybe take holy orders or? No, not at all. I was quite against that. Um, I didn't feel connected with, with that. I, 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 it, with the, the movement I got, movement, I mean the group I got involved with, was, was very lay-centric. Right. So, so um, uh, and it, it was it's very sort of countercultural in the sense that they really believed in trying to make young Christians literate mm. in the scriptures. So, uh, uh, and and also it was it was conventionally Christian, so that all the people I was involved with involved in local churches as well. But there was a great emphasis in the student work, where people would would um, would go after church service and and meet and have their fellowship, mm. um, and learn more about the scriptures and things. Uh, in people's homes. And I was attracted to that rather than to being ordained anyway. I don't think I'd ever have passed the exams and things like that. It's an extraordinary uh, transition. But then after about a decade, yeah. you came back to acting. I and did, it, the, yeah. the, on the face of it, James, it doesn't look like, it looks like almost you took up where you left off. I mean, you were in film. Was it like that or not? No, no, no. 
it, it really was. And I, so I was middle-aged. I was a, in the character, <laughs> I was in the character uh, re, re, realm. It was really quite tricky because I was thought to be a nutcase and, um, and uh, sort of fr Christian freak, lots of stories going about me. And every time I had press interviews, it was, you know, I was fairly sent up and, and sent up, you know. Yeah. So it was quite hard. Um, the work, the early work I did, apart from working with Richard Eyre on a, on a BBC, uh, uh, Trevor Griffiths play called Country, was pretty mediocre. Mm. And then I must have got into something that um, nudged people to think I could, uh, I could act and that there was a place for me in my 40s in the business. Yes. And I suppose that was David Lean. Yes. Uh, you know, and that wonderful film. Passage to India. Yeah, yeah I think it was David. I mean, I, I'd been back in acting three or four years before I did that. But... Um, what was it like uh, working with him? He was quite uh, notoriously, uh, shall we say, uh, well, difficult. Uh, yes, he wasn't very pro-actors. Uh, but I absolutely loved him. I got to know him really quite well, and I, I really adored him. He was very shy. He was sort of Quaker. Yes. So he was very upright. He was quite ashamed of all the sort of marriages and stuff that he went through, you know. But he was very, very, uh, he was a very uh, good man, I thought, David. And I thought he was quite a genius, too. I reckon probably uh, Bridge on the River Choir, Zhivago and... and um, Choir, uh, choir and, and Lawrence probably influenced me as much as any films. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was one of our world's best directors. So, of course, I was so happy to be there. But he was a bit, um, he was a bit funny with actors. Um, did, you, did he see them as getting in the way of his vision? Well, you know, when you think <laughs> that he actually made Alec Guinness and he and made William Holden so brilliant and he, he worked with Charles Lawton and he worked with Celia Johnson and Trevor Howe, this is a man who knew how to work with actors. Mm. So it was quite a sort of... Uh, and look about Peter O'Toole. Yes. You know, so he was wonderful with actors, but to him it was all that was in the frame. Everything had to be in the frame. The frame meant everything, and uh, and he made all these people into stars, so he was he was absolutely fabulous. Um, but he, um, I, if I remember, he you mentioned he hadn't done a film, David, because I remember one of the very first films I saw as a kid. I was taking to see Lawrence of Arabia, uh, yeah, probably way too young. young. Oh, yeah. But in those days, I think it was nineteen sixty-four. Mm. Was it Lawrence of Arabia? I yeah, think? I think so. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But they used to then run the movies. Like you would have a second run a few years later, still then. Yes, absolutely. We, no, we that didn't one. have, you know, well, we had TV, but you yeah, know, we didn't no. have video. Yeah. And uh, it was just, I remember being aghast at the sheer size of it, but, I, but yeah. it was very long for, for a kid. <laughs> but, but then David Lee made Ryan's daughter, didn't he? He got yeah. not so good reviews no, for that. Really. And that pretty much put him off doing things. He did it? for 14 years. Yeah. He was sat on, wasn't he, by the New York critics for Ryan's daughter. <clears throat> and <clears throat> he went away and, and, and he loved traveling, David. So he went to the uh, sort of uh, South Sea Islands and India. He was possibly going to make Gandhi, possibly take, make Mutiny on the Bounty. And of course, they all, you know, David loved to fiddle mm. and, and, and do anything but get on the set, you yes. know. So it, 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 he never made a film. 
And by then he'd got into his 70s. Yes. So, of course, the whole business had changed. And uh, it was just a, a small London company that, that raised the, not raised the money, John Heyman raised the money, but that company got it together as yeah. a sort of independent, small budget film. But this kind of epic, you know, the David Lean style, you know, uh, again, do you think that's of its time in the sense that it would be hard to carry that off now? That is interesting, isn't it? Mm. I personally think there will always be a time for an intelligent epic. Yeah. I've wanted to make Nostromo for years mm. uh, because David and Robert Bolt wrote the script of it. I'm pretty familiar with it. And so I think if that was made brilliantly, uh, there would be an, a public for it. Mm. Because anyway, Joseph Conrad is 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 very, very interesting mm. writer about mm. themes that are still important to people here yeah. now. But we don't seem to have many films like that around. No, we don't. We don't. We don't have much in the way of that. I mean, do you... Do you can you get interested... <laughs> when did you stop beating your wife? Can, can you get interested, for example, in Marvel comics, uh, you know, superheroes? I, mean, I can't. No. I find <clears throat> that this is really what the mainstream film culture is of the moment. Yeah, and probably that's where all the talent is, or mm. or ice something too. Yes. And probably the best thing is writers in Hollywood are, are trying to work something meaningful into a penguin or say, you know, I mean, it's just sad, really, yes. isn't it? Yes, yes, it's just sad. Yeah. Uh, one very British uh, filmmaking group was Merchant Ivory. That's. Uh, uh, Ishmael Merchant and James yeah, Ivory. Yeah. And uh, they were kind of known, weren't they, in the 1980s for what people used to call corset, corset <laughs> nostalgia. You know, Helena yeah. Bonham Carter became mm. well known in mm -hmm. Remains of the Day, and, uh, not Remains, sorry, uh, Room with a View. But view. when you made Remains of the Day, in an odd way, uh, that was the one with Anthony Hopkins as the very, very, I mean, mm -hmm. uptight is not quite covering it, <laughs> butler, and you were. Yeah. Uh, the Lord of, I think it was very thinly di disguised as, it was Cliveden, it was meant to be, wasn't it, I think? I think so, when, uh, the Astors possibly the was Astors, based on that. Yes, yeah. Lord Darlington, Darlington. Yeah, he was Lord Darlington, yeah. And uh, basically, in, in some ways, it was quite interesting, it, you'd come full circle, because uh, from the servant, uh, there you were, you were Lord Darlington, you play a, a, a well-meaning, is it right to say well-meaning, <laughs> but extremely naive uh <laughs> fascist sympathizer <laughs> yeah. isn't that right that's absolutely right and uh, but i think that's a wonderful film because but do you think that the character of the anthony hopkins mm. would he have been so completely sort of enthralled to the lord of the man do you think i mean he mm. just lets it all doesn't he? he? He all goes over his head. He makes sure he doesn't hear any of it. <laughs> you know, it's extraordinary. It's, it's extraordinary. Well, of course, do you think it has something to do with the fact that Kazuo Ishiguro wrote it? Yes. That there was this this deference of yeah. the the Japanese to to to, to class yes. and uh, and uh, to position yeah. and to honour, and I wonder if that affected how he was depicted uh, the battle. Uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins. I think so. There is that, isn't there? There's exactly. It's a very Japanese sort of very ja Japanese thing. You know, he can yeah. do no wrong. I, I, I obey. I know my position. Yes. Yes. Extraordinary. I mean, yeah. it's a be beautiful, 
beautiful film. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, that you were, you said you're still a dilettante with, with politics. Um, when it comes to film now in the creative world, it seems that, and I, I don't know whether you would agree with this, it seems that ideology is now trumping creativity. So, for example, we have BAFTA, and it now has these rules that in order to be nominated for film, you have to have displayed a certain level of kind of inclusion, either in front of or behind the camera. I mean, mm. this could have a pernicious effect, could it not? Well, it's, it's just absolutely ludicrous, and it's so sad, isn't it? Mm. It's just sad yes. that that's been politicised. Yes. So do you think that, I mean, it seems to be that creativity itself is almost sort of an afterthought now, you know? Yeah, but it isn't, you see. I mean, I think creativity and, and the arts have always, they should show what society is like, but they should also show what you could aspire to and what's great. Mm. And so I think the arts should be at the forefront yeah. because imagination should be at the forefront of of progress, shouldn't it? Shouldn't they be sort of in a way as well transcendental? You should be able to be brought absolutely, up by them. Absolutely, mm. yeah, yes. And it, I think it just doesn't seem to have that function anymore. And people well, don't no, expect it to. Why is that? Well, I think it's sort of almost become, these things are now, they have to be representative of something. Uh. Um, but, but also possibly if you look at mainstream cinema, the whole Marvel thing, um, it comes down to commercial considerations. Those sorts of films don't need nuanced, uh, they can go from one territory to another mm. almost intact. So it's all about money in yep, the end. Yeah, you know. the kind of universalizing of culture. I want to ask you a little bit, if I may, uh, James, a bit about Lawrence. Uh, what do you make of his change from being an actor into a political figure? Well, all I can say is I'm glad I didn't waste all that money on his Harrow School fees. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's paid it back in spades, hasn't he? Yes, he's, yes. he's made a splash. Yes. And so much of what he stands for, I, I totally support. Yes. I think he does it very well. Yes. Um, and he, you know, he's taken a lot of stick for it. Um, the way his union uh, called him his disgrace to the profession. It's mm, outrageous. Mm, mm. Uh, in what way is he a disgrace to the profession? What does it mean to be a disgrace to the profession? Because you mm. hold certain views. Mm. I mean, I've held certain views. Michael Caine holds certain views. He's not a disgrace to the profession. Mm, mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. yes. It's absolutely ludicrous. But I think maybe things have become a little bit more political than maybe they were. The 1970s might have been the last time, you know, the yeah, Red Graves. Yeah, a little and, bit more political. Yeah. I mean, that's an understatement. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> but, uh, no, it sort of, did it affect when, you know, everyone went for Lawrence after mm. Question Time and after and that period? Mm. Did it have an effect immediately on your family? I mean, did... No, it didn't, uh, thankfully. It, it didn't have an effect on the family. I mean, Lawrence's views are not held by every member of our family. No. But I think we believe in uh, relationships as being very important. So 
uh, apart from, you know, there is a little bit of tension in some areas, but, uh, well, that would be stupid. I mean, there's a lot of tension in one area, but, but, but you know, when I hear that, that some families aren't speaking to mm. their friends, mm. uh, that there's str strife within a family that means that they can't communicate, that some person I heard had had lost a friend of thirty years. Yes, it, it just became so yeah. shocking. We've we've not experienced anything like that. It's terrible. But I mean, if 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 one is was involved in Brexit, you know, for example, mm. like I was a lot. You um, yeah. You you experienced this kind of thing. I have to say. It always was from one side. It was always tended to be not my side, you know. Um, for example, you know, Remainers would be the ones who couldn't bring themselves to be friendly to Brexiteers, for example. Well, why, why not? I well, I think it's because it. there's this sort of sense in which um, it's not just to them, it's not just a viewpoint. It shows that you are inherently bad, you know, as a person. Yeah, but that means they've absolutely no convictions. Yeah. Because if you're going to sacrifice your friendship because you're bad, because you believe in British sovereignty, mm. I mean, it can't, it can't mm. be that you're a very secure person. No, no, exactly. Well, it, but they usually are not, uh, I would say, you know, because if you, if you can actually have an argument with somebody, um, that requires a certain amount of intellectual self-possession or confidence. Yeah. Uh, yes. If you can't and you just simply have to dismiss, uh, then I think it just shows. Well, you and Lawrence, you know, you're, you're very much in the, in the public eye and mm. you've, you've stood for what you believe and you've been known for it. So mm. you've, you've been dumped on. Yeah. Um, but I, I, of course, I haven't. Are you no longer acting at all? No. Are you, are you... Well, I would, but I'm, I'm not in demand. Well, no, but you've made <laughs> quite a few films over the past. I, I mean... Uh, Sexy Beast was one. I mean, oh yes, Sexy Beast. That yeah, was great Jack, fun. Yes. Ray, Ray Winston was that. Ray right? Winston, Jonathan Glazer. No, yes. but that's years ago. So um, I'm out to grass, but I'm not feeling the worse for it because of what you're saying about the 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 environment yes, yes. Uh, for for actors probably like myself. Yeah. Um, but so your your whole family is a, an acting. And indeed, aging family, isn't it? You do have my my brother Robert is a producer. Of course, yeah. Edward is a very very well known actor, yes. and their and, and their their children, and mine are in oh, many of them connected. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, look, Joe. Thank you very much for coming in and talking about the films uh, as well, which. Uh, you know, um, it's, it's an absolute uh, ple pleasure for me to talk to you because I've seen all of these and I saw many of them when they came out, so which makes it all the all the more um, uh, of a thrill. Thank you very very much indeed. Anyway, thank and, you, um, Peter. Happy birthday as well. Thank you. Um, that's it for so. What you're saying is, we shall see you next time. Thank you.